0: This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 104. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, digital editor catches up with Maurizio Lopez, head chef of Bolivian restaurant Gustu, to talk about new Bolivian cuisine. Mauricio shares his favorite ingredients to cook with, including llama, Amazonian herbs, and the largest freshwater fish in the world. But first up, I went to meet chef and fish expert Mitch Tonks to find out how to make responsible, sustainable choices when buying seafood. Okay, so I'm here today with Mitch Tonks, um, chef, restaurateur and the um, ambassador for the MSC, which is the Marine Stewardship Council. Welcome to the Olive Podcast.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me. It's great. <laughs>
0: um, we've just had a really interesting breakfast and chat um, all about sustainable fish, uh, what we can do about it, um, how we can get involved in it more and um, first of all could you just explain what sustainability means Um, because I think people a lot of people think it's just is there enough fish in the sea but it's not just that is it?
1: It's it's it's, it's interesting it's become a really really important subject and sustainability in the marine environment means that you can safely take uh, an amount of fish from the sea and uh, leave enough In the ocean to be able to reproduce so that we can continually um, take the fish that we need for food. And at the same time, um, allow the marine environment to not be damaged in a way that it can't sustain and support uh, future marine life. So it's quite a task um, to be able to fish and not damage and take enough. And, uh, And it's a lot of work goes into making so sure that can happen. So it involves the
0: methods of fishing as well as just it how involves, much fish
1: you take. Yes, it involves a method of fishing and, you know, unfortunately there are certain methods of fishing that are destructive, yeah. And um, but they're managed and contained and they, you know, adds another element to the debate, but without using heavy methods to catch certain species, we wouldn't have those species and I think that'll be a that's a future debate about how we catch them.
0: So there's not, I mean, there are I guess there are certain methods that are, are not great... You know, there's huge, gigantic super trawlers and stuff. We're not talking about that, are we? we were, talking no. about...
1: we're talking about heavy impact fishing where, where guys are using nets and beams along the shore. Right. And, uh, you know, they damage the seabed, but they catch the fish that the market needs and that we need for, yeah. um, uh, for foodstuffs. Um, but the MSC looks at those, but doesn't certify a fishery based upon fishing method. They, they look at the capture method. Okay. And, uh, but really the MSC is certifying a fishery as sustainable yeah. uh, based upon the scientific data um, that they're able to collect on that fishery about a certain species and to give uh, fishermen conditionality on how they can fish that going forward and, and audit it yeah. um, to make sure that the fishermen are fishing it in a certain way. And it's a fantastic scheme. Yeah. And uh, it really, you know, when you see the blue label... Um, in the supermarkets, on our cod and our haddock, the white species that we love, then it's great to be able to buy those with confidence and know that they're coming from a sustainably sustainable fishery. And
0: the idea of the MSC is that it's its visibility, isn't it? Because you can, it, there is a, a small blue label with a fish and a tick, yeah, and that tells you that that. And it's quite. I think it's it's a quite a complicated pro- process to become. Certified, a certified
1: fishery. It's massive. I mean, <laughs> the undertaking on the, um, on the fishermen is, is huge and it's hugely cost, you know, cost them a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, we've had some amazing success stories because I think one of the things is that, uh, I'll give you an example of the Hake fishery in Cornwall. Okay. Whereby, 10 years ago, I used to be on the market in Hake, which was... Um, a fish that we kind of didn't really eat that much. The Spanish ate it, we tried to sell it to the Spanish, but the fish would be landed in pretty poor condition. It wouldn't fetch very much money. And there was really no incentive for fishermen to go and catch it because it was only fetching, you know, 50, 60, 70p a kilo some very enterprising fishermen in Cornwall and Devon um, with their boats uh, realised it was a market realised it was a was a fabulous fish and they set about changing their gear to catch it and look after it properly mm. and land it in really good condition they went one step further to um, get MSC certification okay. and what that's opened up for them is a market to us chefs whereby we can now buy that fish knowing it's sustainable yeah. and also it's opened the door to supermarkets so the price has gone up yeah. which is great for the fishermen because that's the incentive and hey, them always- it's always been a it. great
0: fish, hasn't Hake's it? It's always just been that... <laughs> a great fish. It's just that
1: we've never... You know, my grandmother used to talk about hake yeah. as being, you know, this luxurious white fish, which, yeah, of course, yeah, it is. Yeah. But, and, and interestingly, I remember walking around Swansea Market and I'd see lots of hake in Wales. Yeah. The, the, the Welsh have always loved it. Yeah. And, uh, but we've never loved it. But now it's back firmly on our menus. I just
0: remember always getting it in Spain. It was like you'd go to Spain it's and... the national they would fish. Have hake. Yeah. the national <laughs> fish.
1: I mean, you know, the other great... You know, in, in, in northern Spain, the, yeah. the tongues, the, the neck, you know, yeah. the, the cheeks, you know. I mean, I, I've even been to restaurants. You, have, you order a grilled hake. Head, I mean, you know, that's, that's what you have. I mean, they just adore the stuff
2: over there. They love there.
0: it. So, because you're not, obviously, I've said chef or restaurateur, but you're not, that's, that's, you've got much more of an involvement than that, haven't you, in the world of fish, which is why you're here today as ambassador. Yeah. Te- tell us about your story. Well, I, you... I,
1: I, I started off life as an accountant. And uh, I grew up... You know? I did, I did. And I grew up by the seaside yeah. uh, my grandmother was a great cook and and i would go off to the fishmongers with her and buy brown shrimps and we'd sit at home we'd peel them and we'd make brown shrimp sandwiches and you know we'd pick crabs together and it was yeah. really great so i was fascinated by that whole fish thing yeah and uh when i was kind of like mid to late 20s uh working in london living in bath i just decided to give it all up and open a fishmonger shop <laughs> and and the reason i did it is the, the food revolution hadn't started in britain the, right you know there was there wasn't even farmers markets i remember so opening the a, first farmers market you were with an earlier degree yeah i yeah. was and i you you know, there were butchers there was a great cheese shop in Bath, yeah, and I thought I want to sell fish, but I you know my experience of a fishmonger in the u k was a guy in a white jacket with a pretty smelly shop, and my experience of a yeah. fishmonger in Europe was this amazing kind of display of fish, so that's what I did. I opened like a celebration place was like, of fish, yeah, a wonderful yeah. counter every day, yeah. and you know I used to have you know. Boxes of wild salmon, huge turbot, um, wow. tuna, halibut—you know, huge, big, seventeen, eighteen kilo turbot—all these kind of things, which I don't see anymore. You no. know, I've witnessed the the fishing out of wild salmon. Um, so firsthand, of, of you've seen it, just I've get, seen it. Yeah, just yeah. get get kind of worse, which is why I've always been passionate about um, using sustainably caught yeah. seafood. I mean, it's you know, it's not a great thing to witness, yeah. but it but it is happening. But I think that there is such a movement, you know, within. The fishing industry people like the MSC to, to reverse all those trends the MSC cod which was sorry the North Sea cod North which sea was under cod threat some recently years ago become, fantastic yeah. success story how that, that fishery has been turned around MSC certified and people can eat you know our UK cod again with 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 kind and of real confidence. And that's just because they've
0: really worked at getting those fish stocks back up changing yeah. the, the methods working changing with science. the way that they work they've been working science. with science yeah. I mean
1: you know a long time ago I remember when I first moved to Brixham so yeah. I I kind of had my fishmonger <laughs> shop taught myself to cook from Jane and Elizabeth David realised that <laughs> a, a simple piece of fish with lemon juice and olive oil was the it's most joyous the experience things, yeah. you actually didn't need to do yeah. much with it and thought I can be a chef so I, I, I started cooking and opening yeah. restaurants and and now I'm too old to cook I run the restaurants so it's one, <laughs> one, of, one, of, one, of, one of those things
0: <laughs> you're never too old to cook are you That's no well I cook point. at home but but I mean that whole you know
1: so yeah. I, I, you know, I, I occasionally do a double with the guys and yeah. I see, you know, I'm, I'm tired <laughs> now. Exhausted. You know, I've done it for 10 years or more. And, uh, but I love being in the kitchen. It's really great. But, I, you know, I love that whole, um, that whole simplicity of it. But, it. but it really has shown me that um, we need to look after our fish. And, uh, but and
0: that, that story we were just t- saying about the North Sea cod, that's a really good case in point because one point that came up was that um you know that certain species have been demonized and we we've been told don't don't eat this don't eat this there's not mm. but it, it's it's not as simple as that is it you can't it, no particular species is um unsustainable it's just
1: well, I think, I think the challenge is, is there's, 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 a, there's a lot of... there was a, You know, five, six years ago, there was a huge rush
0: yeah. in
1: the media to communicate this huge problem. Charles Clover, a um, great journalist, had made this, this film called The End of the Line, which okay, was really yeah. highlighting to people the first time ever that, you know... There's danger. There was there. huge yeah. danger out there. I mean, this is really, really bad news. But it's a global problem, not just yeah. a local problem. And then, of course, you had people on television saying... Cod is off the menu, don't eat cod. And it was a travesty because I was going up to Norway where there was a million tonnes of MSC-certified cod at that time in a growing cod stock. We have always been a big importer of cod. We're the biggest importer of cod in the world. Because we love cod. Because we love cod and chips. We love cod. We've always eaten cod. We love white fish. We can't get away from that. That's That's what we do. But frustratingly, that advice was given on the North Sea, where the North Sea was under threat. But the North yeah. Sea only ever made up 2.5% of the world's cod quota. It was a very important fishery. Yeah. Um, but we should never be communicating to the public that cod is off the menu. No. What we should have been talking about is, for now, we've got to leave the North Sea alone, but what we've got to do is to buy it from fishery that's been MSC certified yeah. like the Barents Sea where the Icelandics and the, and the Norwegians have incredible care for the environment yeah. and, uh, and we've been buying that fish for a number of years so I think that kind of sent the hairs running yeah. uh, amongst everybody have we eaten the last fish and there was all sorts of um, miscommunication and nowadays we have a lot of um, chefs and food writers talking about alternative sustainable species yeah and sadly there isn't there aren't any there are. alternative sustainable no. species from the white fish we love. What there are is some beautiful fish out there being landed off our shores. John Dory, Gurnard, Red Mullet, Dabs, um, Flukes, all these great things that we don't hear of. Yeah. But there is no scientific, scientific data to say that any of those species are any more sustainable than anywhere no. else. They are alternative species that we shouldn't waste and we should be eating but they don't get wasted anyway i mean you know our fish is in you know around the uk is of such good quality Mm. that it's being sold to the europeans because they value it more it doesn't matter what it is the europeans want our fish because the fish is of such good quality
0: is it possible to say i went down to cornwall and um i went to newland or whatever and i was buying a fish off a, a fisherman down there or so i mean is it possible to get fish that isn't MSC certified, that is sustainable? I mean, like a small a small yeah. day boat that they're going out and just doing their own catch? Yeah. Or
1: I think that the one thing I would say about British fishermen and our fisheries, they're incredibly well-managed. Yeah. So the sort of what our mantra at work and what I would share with other people is, yeah. look, if you're buying from a small fishery, a small fishmonger in the UK, who's buying from a small Cornish, yeah. Scottish, Devon fisher- fishery, um, from what, any one of those big markets... Then the fish is well managed, yeah. and I feel sustainable. I think our yeah. fisheries are being well managed. It might managed, not sustainable. have the certificate, but it, it it's might not well have Because it's on such a small
0: scale that it can't really. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: When I look out at my window and I see Bricks and Fish Market, and I see at Christmas time when all the boats are in, it's hard to imagine when I'm looking yeah. at this small pocket of boats that those boats can catch all the fish that's around our shore. I mean, the fishing effort is well balanced with the amount of fish that's there. Yeah. But I think when it comes to the high-volume species, when we're importing hundreds of thousands of tonnes of cod, it's vital that those big fisheries have some kind of certification, which is what the MSC provides. And that's, you know, our supermarkets nowadays don't even use it as a marketing perspective. Why would you sell anything else but sustainable seafood? Exactly. I mean, it's like, you know that's just the way it is. It's behavioural now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the MSC have done a great job in, in, in making sure that we all, we all kind of operate in that way.
0: We were saying earlier that the one, the one main confusion or that yeah. a confusion that happens a lot is between the, the MSC and the MCS. So the MSC yeah. is the Marine Stewardship Council. The yes. MCS is the Marine Conservation Society Society. Um, They're both there to look after fish, but they've got slightly different agendas, I guess.
1: Yeah, they're two different organisations, so they're both NGOs, and uh, the MSC are an independent uh, charity that certify fisheries based on scientific advice and give them accreditation to say that that fishery is sustainable. Yeah. The MCS, based on... Uh, scientific evidence, are communicating to the consumer what species they should be eating. Yeah. Unfortunately, fish don't all live in one area. Yeah. <laughs> so when the MCS communicate that don't eat place, what they should be saying is don't eat place yeah. from fishery A, B, C and D, but it's okay to eat place from fishery, yeah. fishery E. And that's what they don't communicate. So there is further confusion when I walk around the market in Brixham and mm. uh, Newlyn and I see boxes and boxes of place,
0: yeah. tons
1: of it. And then the MCS saying it's on the red list. And I'm like, that is so frustrating mm. because it's on the red list in another part of the country, but not this part. And I think that that causes further um, it's confusion difficult. To It's people. a bit of a
0: minefield for the consumer. I and mean, when we found that we might run a recipe with something and, and, you know, we'll get a complaint. But then when I go and look, there are, there are sustainable sources of it. So it's, it's a bit of a minefield for the consumer. I mean, what would you... What what is best advice basically is it just look for the
1: I, I would say there are two things white fish high volume species always um, look for the always look for the MSC label you're yeah. likely to buy those fish in uh, your supermarket um, that's where those species are usually okay, sold that's good. if you're going to your local fishmonger yeah. then more likely your local fishmonger is dealing with the local fishery dealing yeah. direct with boats and I would feel more than comfortable that anything yeah. you buy from your local fishmonger um, is going to be uh, from a well-managed UK fishery, which I, in my mind, I would say was was a, a sustainable source.
0: So the the answer at the end of the day is go and chat to your fishmonger, like chat just to your fishmonger. sound him out, find yeah. out what he knows. <laughs> If he tells you he's buying them from day boats, from you know, bricks yep. or he'll wherever, tell you, he'll, he'll tell you,
1: show you. He'll, um, you know, I mean, the one thing about our f- the fishing industry since I've been in it for mm. 20 odd years, people in it really care, yeah. about it. People are incredibly passionate. It's
0: not a fast buck, is it? It's, it's not a fast really buck, it's intense, hard work. You, yeah. you,
1: you, you smell, you work in smelly environments, yeah. you work odd hours, yeah, but you do it because you totally love it, and therefore, if you go to an independent fishmonger. There are a million ways that that guy or that lady can go and earn money, but the reason they're doing it is because, because they, they love absolutely it. love it and yeah. they can't think of a better way. And I, um, Duncan and Sue, I, who some friends of mine, who I've worked with in bigger companies, they have uh, a fish shop, and I'm not sure where it is, but Duncan and Sue are two of the most passionate people uh, in seafood that I that I've met ever yeah. and they have they can't think of anything else they'd rather do they spend their holidays going to look <laughs> at fishmongers and they sell fish and they love it and yeah. they've got a successful business and it's people like that that are genius I think
0: yeah tell us uh, from a fishmonger's perspective when you're when you're buying fish what are the like key things to look for for like super freshness
1: so if you're going into a fishmonger shop hopefully he's gonna have lots of whole fish there yeah. so uh, the first thing you look at is eyes the yeah. eyes should look incredibly bright not misty they should be bulging out the head not convex oh, really yeah and that's a real giveaway yeah the other thing to do is and I used to get lots of Japanese guys come into the shop they would <laughs> they would just pick up the fish and open the gills and they would they would look at the gills and ask for a piece of tissue to to, to, to clean their fingers, but they were they were looking for bright red, oh, bloody gills, bright red gills, not sort yeah. of um, brown, oxidised gills. And yeah. the other thing is, you know, the fish that the, the flesh should be nice and firm. Yeah. But if you see a fresh fish and you see an old fish, it is so obvious so what a obvious. fresh fish looks like. It's vibrant, it's bright, it's slimy. Yeah. The smell in a fishmonger shop should smell like ozone, like mm-hmm. the sea. If you go into a fishmonger's shop and it's fishy. Then the likelihood is that it's not clean. All the fish is, yeah. uh, is, is and over. you can
0: you can buy a whole fish and ask a fishmonger to fill it for you. You know, don't get scared of buying it because you can just buy it and then say, Take "Can you fill it, it off?" Can you? Well, yeah. I think that
1: is the big differentiator between uh, <laughs> from a supermarket and, yeah. uh, and 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 a fishmonger is that is a fishmonger is an artisanal craftsman, yeah. somebody that can prepare the fish, probably understand the fish, tell you everything about the fish, and a supermarket is a retailer. Um, yeah. They're just they're just totally different experiences. And I used to think, and I used to encourage. People people look drive to the coast go and find a fishmonger by the coast where the fish is really fresh buy some for your freezer buy buy some that you're going to cook on the day and yeah. make a day of it yeah. i mean that's the whole joy of eating seafood yeah, not, not, not just it. grabbing it and putting it in a basket um, yeah. it's sort of something more than that i think
0: and what what's your favorite fish to eat
1: Oh, I'm I'm a red mullet fan. And, you know, <laughs> I, you know. I, I sometimes I switch between John Dory or turbot, yeah. but I always come back to a red mullet. And, and interesting, I like them only about hundred. I like the bigger ones too, but 100, 125 gram fish. Okay, um, dusting of flour. I'm fried in oil. Nice. Um, Just uh, shallow fried, maybe a little rosemary tucked in the belly. Yeah. And I sit there and eat that at home when the red mullet are in season at the end of the summer. And uh, I marvel at it as to what an utter joy that plate of food is every single time I eat it.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Mitch. It's been really interesting. It's a
1: pleasure. Thanks for chatting to me. Thank you.
3: Hi, it's Alex here and I'm at Carousel in Marlebone where Bolivian restaurant Gusto is currently in residence. So Noma co-founder Klaus Meyer opened Gusto back in 2013 with the intention of starting a new Bolivian gastronomic movement. And this restaurant in Bolivia's capital, La Paz, is always in Latin America's 50 best restaurants list. And it always takes number one spot in Bolivia. And I'm chatting to head chef Mauricio Lopez about new Bolivian cuisine and some of his favorite ingredients to work with. So hello, Mauricio. Hello. (laughs) So gusto means flavor in the Andean Quechua language correct. is that right yes and Quechua is a group of people whose like economy and culture revolves around agriculture right is that right yeah that's right correct so um how would you sum up the flavors of this new Bolivian cuisine that you serve at Gustu?
2: Well there's so many flavors that it's really hard to sum it up but the thing is Bolivia has different climates so we have the Andes mm-hmm. which is very cold and where we grow potatoes we grow the quinoa and all the the different cereals of the same family. We also have valleys where we grow different fruits like uh, peaches, grapes, and we have the Amazon where we get tropical ingredients. Yeah. So it's different tastes, it depends yeah. the place, but in Gusto we try to mix everything up and do our own new cuisine.
3: Okay, so you, you've got a lot of different altitudes and climates there, haven't you? And um, exactly. I can imagine there's a lot of traditional um, Bolivian Food and do, have you tried to just put twists on that and like a modern, like contemporary?
2: Yeah, there's a huge tradition of food in Bolivia. Like the culture is very next to the to the food, so everything is related. What we do is we we're inspired by the culture, by the flavors of the traditional food, and in Gusto we we make our own version of it.
3: And what um, what are some traditional dishes in Bolivia?
2: Yeah, we have depends the place where I come from. From La Paz, we have example we have chairo which is a soup made with dried potatoes and okay. lamb super nice for the winter
3: and do you use like traditional herbs in there
2: yes it has uh, one called kirkinia
3: yeah depends what's that
2: like? it's it's very hard to explain
3: okay <laughs> it's super
2: new flavor <laughs> so go to bolivia yeah you have to go there and taste is it. it is
3: it like any other herb i don't think so no
2: it's very special very strong
3: okay is it like floral aromatic it's super
2: aromatic super okay. floral and what yeah. do
3: you use that in like to pair with usually?
2: We put it on Meat. a yeah, we put it on a sauce called yahua, which okay. is the spicy sauce you will always find in every table in, in Bolivia.
3: Okay, that's yehua.
2: Yajua. Yajua, yeah.
3: And what yeah. other ingredients it's does? Tomato, that
2: have? chili and guacataya Sometimes. and sometimes this other herb kirquinha. Okay. Depends the place. Yeah.
3: Cool. Um so you said that. The climate in Bolivia is obviously very varied. So how does this create the unique produce? Like, What kind of um, unique produce do you have?
2: We have plenty of different products. For example, fish is super different. We don't use any fish from the sea, but we use from high-altitude lakes. Ah, okay. And we also use them from the Amazonic river.
3: Oh, wow. So what so, kind of fish have you got there?
2: Like, For example, we have one called paiche, which is the paiche. biggest... Um, Freshwater fish in the world. Oh it's really? Huge. Wow. Huge. Yeah. When we how,
3: how many like how big are we talking?
2: We're talking about more than 100 kilos. Oh wow! Yeah, it's very very big.
3: Gosh. Okay. And yeah. how do you serve that traditionally?
2: Traditionally, it's made in stews. Okay. There in the in in the Amazonas, or it's cooked wrapped in in banana leaves.
3: Ooh. And it's how do nice. you like you know put a contemporary new Bolivian? cuisine twist on that
2: we like to serve them raw 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 ah yeah.
3: okay so like in a ceviche
2: like ceviche like uh like a carpaccio but we also serve it in the restaurant the classic way okay wrapped in a banana leaf i see chilies and banana inside a lot of flavor just we just give it some small twists to mm. the plate to get okay. more flavor that's basically it
3: Cool. And yeah. so, so that's the fish and then, because um, Bolivia is landlocked, isn't it?
2: Yes. Yeah.
3: I'm glad I got that yeah. right. <laughs> um, what about meat? What kind of meats do you um,
2: use? We have different, different kinds of meats, but the one that I like a lot is llama.
3: Llama. Yeah, llama okay. is super good. And how do, is that, what does that taste like? What, is the... It's very lean, Okay. a
2: little bit gainy, but it's super good for tartar, for example. Okay. to cook it just a little bit mm. it's a very simple taste nice. actually it's not okay. that strange okay so it's super nice and lean
3: and do you ha- cook with alpaca
2: we don't use alpaca no? that much in bolivia it's okay. more in peru
3: okay so but llama and alpaca they're similar aren't they they're
2: super similar are yes. they similar in
3: taste as well as like the way they look
2: alpaca is more gaining
3: okay Cool. So you use lamb and more. And then what about fruit and veg? Like, I imagine you have a lot of yeah, fruit and tons. veg. Yeah, <laughs> <What> <laughs> Any favorites?
2: Fruits. There's one fruit that I love the most. It's called tumbo. Tumbo. In English, the name is terrible. It's called banana passion fruit. because oh, wow. It's the same family of the passion fruit, but it's shaped as a banana, a small banana.
3: Ah. So does it look like, if you open it, does it look like a passion fruit inside?
2: Exactly, yeah.
3: Ah, oh, wow. And how does that um, compare to the taste of, say, I was going to say an English passion fruit, but yeah. do you think we have English.
2: Maracuilla. I mean, other,
3: another one, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, it's very like a, a maracuilla, a passion okay. fruit, passion a fruit. bit more bitter. Okay. So it's nice for cocktails, to mm. for salads. Nice. We do ice cream with that or sorbet, it's super good. Um. What I like about it is it grows everywhere in the city.
3: Oh, okay. really? In La
2: Paz, yeah. So every house has uh, tumbo tree somewhere.
3: Oh, that's so nice. It's super nice, In your backyard, yeah. yeah, just go out and pick it. And you yeah. can you eat it just raw like a passion fruit?
2: It's too strong. Oh, so really? Yeah, some, okay. some like to eat it like that. Okay. But it's super nice to do cocktails.
3: Yeah. With singani,
2: for example, or national drink. Singani? Singani.
3: Oh, what's that? Tell me what. It's more. like, a,
2: it <laughs> is like a grappa, but made... Okay, Made only with Moscatel de Alejandria.
3: Okay.
2: It's similar to Peruvian pisco.
3: Right, and you make, you make a cocktail with that and the-, the And tumbo. Fri- and tumbo. Exactly,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's super good.
3: Cool. And what about like delving into the Amazon rainforest? Like what kind of ingredients do you get from there?
2: we we'll get so many ingredients from yeah, Amazon. And it's like We get new ingredients almost every month through the really? door in the restaurant. It's amazing, wow. so it's super exciting. Always, we always have something different. That's so but cool. But fruits, is like so many fruits. We get palmito, which is palm heart. Oh, yes. They come from, from the valleys, but also in the, in the, in the rainforest.
3: And what, what do they taste like?
2: It's super silky, super yeah. nice. You can eat it raw. Nice. We, and how
3: do you use that in the restaurant?
2: Now we just grill it on the plancha with a little bit of butter and serve it with a banana balsamic vinegar.
3: Oh, so is it it's quite savoury then? Yeah, it is. Yeah, ah, I see. And um, you were saying that you have all these different um, ingredients from the Amazon, the Amazon, that you um, get. Is that from like a forager, or do you go out and choose them, or do you have somebody who goes and discovers new fruit and veg and herbs and
2: whatever? Else? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, forager, we do it in La Paz and in La Paz, in the city. But if we have to go far away, we, then we have producers. Okay. They send us, like, for example, send us the fish. We talk with the community of fishermen and they send us the fish, but mm-hmm. they also have fruits and they send us that or the banana leaves or the other leaves that we use to cook. So it's a mix. Yeah. We have a good relationship with the, with the providers.
3: Good. So your supplier in the Amazon, is, is that like a, a local who goes in or is it somebody, you know, who, goes, who lives in the Amazon?
2: No, it's a local.
3: Okay. It's so like, do they live a- in a village in the Amazon? Exactly. Amazing. And how far is the Amazon from from La Paz?
2: From La Paz, we can get it in, in bus in 12 hours.
3: Okay, so it's yeah. sto- it's quite far.
2: Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a okay. one-hour flight. Okay. We like to get into the center no, of the Amazonas, but you can get around in three hours, maybe driving.
3: Wow. Okay. So, yeah, it's, that just shows, to be fair, it just shows how, um, you know, how bigger country is and how like, diverse exactly. all the climate is. So um, we talked a little bit, we touched on a little bit before about ceviche. Yeah. How does, I know every uh, lots of Latin American countries claim that their yeah, ceviche yeah. was the first and the original, um, but you are serving a Peruvian, a Bolivian, sorry, Bolivian mm-hmm. ceviche on your exactly. menu. Um, how does that differ to, say, a Peruvian or an Ecuadorian ceviche?
2: I think a ceviche, the, the main difference is that <laughs> It's more like a soup. It has more more leche de tigre, which is the the sauce.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The Peruvian one, it has less, but it's stronger.
3: Okay, and do uh, you use any different um, ingredients and herbs? It's
2: a basic, the same ones. is basically, but we normally use fish, different fish, of course, no fish from the Amazonas so- or fish from the from the lake. So it depends what fish we got, and how many, how much acidicness we put on it. Okay. It's less acidic. Acidic than the than the Peruvian one because it has more of the liquid, so you will need a a spoon to finish it ah, up. Okay, like you can drink the rest of the of the leche de tigre. So that's the that's the only difference. Ah, nice. Yeah. <laughs>
3: my mouth's watering now. Uh, so sure. what other um, dishes um, do you have um, in the restaurant that sum up the new Bolivian cuisine? Because we talked about traditional dishes, yes. but what what do you think really encapsulates that new that new style? I
2: think the basic is using bolivian ingredients just with a, a new way of looking them okay so we use quinoa for example
3: mm-hmm. we have
2: a plate based on quinoa and we we make like a quinoa tofu which is kind of a cream okay we ferment the quinoa and make a quinoa miso so Ooh, there's that that, sounds good yeah Japanese names, maybe, but the, the ingredients are local. So that's the idea, we try to be as free as possible.
3: Amazing. But
2: use local ingredients.
3: And what do you serve that with?
2: We the... serve it only with quinoa. So, with, with... so the
3: quinoa tofu, is just, it just speaks for itself.
2: Exactly, the, the quinoa with the miso, super strong flavors. Mm. And then we serve the different types of quinoa. So the plate only has quinoa.
3: So lots of different types of quinoa.
2: Yeah, there is three How? main kinds. Three. The white okay. one. Red and black.
3: Okay. And um, what about puddings?
2: About puddings, well, we have a great tradition of puddings in in Bolivia, but the ones we do is also the same idea, using local products. For example, we're trying a a mushroom that we always find in the markets, but we normally use it for soups or for pasta, or it's normally used for savoury dishes, Mm -hmm. and we made an ice cream.
3: Mushroom ice cream. Yes. I think I might be tasting that yes. soon, right? exactly. I'm going to do that later. very exciting. And what what do you serve with that?
2: We put uh, basil oil.
3: Okay, nice.
2: And Brazilian nuts. Oh. Or we like to call it very Amazonic nuts.
3: Amazonic nuts. <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah. That's uh, you know, think the more correct. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> more fair. Well, so, I'm look- looking forward to trying that. Super. I can, I can imagine it's very umami, lots of, you know, sweet and savory balance there. Exactly. Um... And so what about other Bolivian chefs that you look up to and like, what are they doing that's um, noteworthy elsewhere in, in the country?
2: Well, Bolivian food culture is growing very fast, mm. at least these last years. There's two restaurants that I like, that I love a lot. One is called Popular. Popular. They serve traditional Bolivian with a twist. And they're okay. super talented chefs and they, I love that place. They okay. only serve lunch.
3: Only serve lunch. Only
2: lunch, yeah. And they, How come? I don't know. They just <laughs> they decided to do that, but they are doing so well. Wow. Okay. And They're in a very old house in the center of the city. Okay. Beautiful place.
3: And what about in the country? Are there is there any is there any other are there any other chefs that are doing things not in the capital?
2: Yeah, there is in in Santa Cruz. There is a mo- great movement. People doing a lot of things. Okay. Nice restaurant.
3: And is that again this like new Bolivian cuisine movement? Or yes, exactly. They, are there any uh, um? Other influxes of, like, for example, um, Japanese, because I know, like, Nikkei is mm-hmm. Peruvian Japanese, isn't it? Or exactly. Japanese.
2: Of course, we have influence. Yeah. Influence from Peru, influence okay. for different parts, uh, Italian. We didn't got so much uh, immigration okay. as the other countries around, mm-hmm. but we have influence. There's some Japanese. Uh, Places in Santa Cruz, for example, they make sake and Ooh. stuff like that.
3: I can imagine there's some great um, yeah. sushi places because we're using your uh, lake kind of trout-like. Uh, yes. Yeah. What was it called again, the fish?
2: The, from the lake? Yeah. Or the paiche one, the big one?
3: The big one. Paiche. Paiche. Yes. Okay, cool. Right, well, so um, I think we're running out of time, but thanks very much for meeting me. Thank
2: you.
0: And see you later. See you later that was the olive magazine podcast if you like this episode please head over to itunes and leave a review we'd love to hear from you for more information on things in this episode you can visit our website olivemagazine.com you can still pick up a copy of our may issue now or go download the app version bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat